Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. Want to learn a new language? And who doesn't? Well, experience immersive lessons from the most trusted language app, Rosetta Stone. You know you keep telling yourself you want to learn a new language. The true accent feature even gives feedback on your pronunciation so you can speak the language like a native. Find lessons as short as 10 minutes, making it easy for you to learn anytime, anywhere. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to StarTalk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. StarTalk begins right now. This is Star Talk, and I'm your host, your personal astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I serve as the director of the Hayden Planetarium right here in New York City at the American Museum of Natural History. And this edition of Star Talk is one what we call Cosmic Queries. And we've solicited questions from our fan base and all the various social media on the topic of the role of science in the formation of our morality. And I can't do that alone. I could try it, but we got people who thought way more deeply on this than I have. But before I get to our principal guest, let me just introduce my co-host, Eugene Merman. Eugene, hey. Hello, Neil. Hey, welcome back to Star Talk. Thank you. And there's a man sitting to your right. I know. I can see him. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, of course, Michael Shermer. If you don't know this guy, he's uh, founder and editor-in-chief of... of Skeptic. Skeptic. Skeptic Magazine. A, it's a magazine? I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> see, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> and and I've known your work forever, and I'm glad somebody's doing almost eternity. Yes. Yeah, duh. <laughs> doing doing the good work. You do all the hard work, and I get to just tell people to have fun with the universe. Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of bunkum that needs debunking that we do. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, one of your recent books, because you've got a lot of you come out with books all the time. So be a regular guest for each okay. book, please. Sold. And uh, currently, it's called the Moral Arc. Great Moral title. Arc. Yeah. Great title. Well, the title, of course, comes from Dr. King's famous How Long, That would be Martin Luther King. That's right. Yes. Yes. Uh Uh, Not just a doctor named King. (laughs) Yes. He's a cardiologist that I really love. (laughs) But he had a moral arc, (laughs) which is a good thing because, you know, doctors are supposed to heal. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Actually, uh, King got that uh, from a 19th century abolitionist uh, preacher named Theodore Parker, who first coined the idea that there's an arc to the moral universe and it's bending toward justice. 
And, and he uh, quoted that like verbatim in that in th- the speech. That, yeah, that's yeah. right. He did. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, he had a whole bunch of religious tropes, and so often religions credited uh, with a lot of the civil rights movements. But in fact, Dr. King's primary guide was Gandhi. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, uh, you know, nonviolent, peaceful protests and that sort of thing. And that particular march from Selma to Montgomery, which is now the famous one. in film, yeah. uh, was not just an accident. It, you know, they really shopped around to figure out where can we march that will get the most attention for our cause. Who is the biggest racist we have? The biggest bigot, you know, in the South. And this is Bull Connor in in Alabama. And so that that's isn't that um, weird that there's like a portfolio of people to choose from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On a scale of one to ten, who is yeah. really a badass? This is the guy we want. Well, this category over here, <laughs> now which one is right? Uh, so I hadn't paused to reflect on the fact that the entire civil rights movement is some steps towards morality in our species. Absolutely. The idea that... At least in the United uh, States, uh, of course. Well, really worldwide, at least in the Western world, since the scientific revolution and the Enlightenment, the idea that the universe is knowable. Just to be clear, that I would date that from like 1600 onward, when it, we first start uh, not only thinking about how the world must be, but testing the ideas and, and coming up with theories for how and why. Exactly right. Okay. Right. So you can start wherever you want to start Copernicus or slightly after yeah. Kepler. But I, I this really, would be 400, uh, 500 years yeah, ago. Yeah. So a big turning point, though, is Newton's Principia. Which after that, now Newton's my man. I know he's your man. That's why. Just I so him you up. know, <laughs> just, just watch what you say. And he's not just your man. He was pretty <laughs> much everybody's like man. I got yes. his back. Okay, yeah. so just back up. When all right, so you yeah. must get those letters and papers from the from alternative physics people that go Newton was wrong and here's why. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. And and if it's really I don't know about this at all, but I get it, and we can move on. Uh-huh. Well, you you probably get p- want to be comedians that send you material. Yeah, that are like Newton is wrong. <laughs> and I don't think so, but he, I, Newton wasn't funny at all, but I am. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're right. He wasn't funny at all. He's very serious. Anyway, the idea was that uh, the universe is knowable, and it's governed by certain principles and laws that we can understand and even put into equations. And after the Principia was published, everybody wanted to be the Newton in their field. So Montesquieu wrote a book called The Spirit of the Laws, which was about what are the conditions by which people design certain laws and customs and economic systems and political systems. There must be some governing laws behind that. And this would get, eventually gave rise to the study of, of the economy as a knowable system. The economy is governed by laws and principles, just like the universe is. So solar systems, ecosystems, economic systems. And so this is what the Enlightenment was all about. By the but, way, I, I still think that's a, hope, that's a wishful thing for economists. To analogize well, th- what they do to what physicists do in the universe, and you know that there's some physics envy going on in there. You know, this. well, of course, <laughs> but uh, and, and, well, actually, you have a deeper point there that maybe it's not doable. Mm. It may be sort of epistemologically, you can't ratchet up from a solar system to an economic system. Maybe there's too many variables, yeah. but that is what they try to do. Yeah. At least, uh, uh, and people are the it's, biggest it's good variables. That they're trying. There I mean, are. We need a functioning society <laughs> with an economy. It's better than randomness. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's better than yeah. chaos. Yeah, <laughs> like some economy. Yeah, right. some, it sounds like you guys are really mad at, uh, or you want bartering. <laughs> <laughs> but once you ratchet up to say social systems and and then moral systems, I mean, they actually talked about the moral sciences. What's that? Well, if human behavior is governed by certain laws and principles like animal behavior is, like planets are, then how we treat each other should be treated as a problem to be solved rather than a sin to be condemned. Mm. So instead of religion condemning people for their bad acts, let's look at what they're doing, homicides, for example, killing each other. What can we do to, like, decrease the amount of that? 
And that's what system, political systems began to experiment with. Let's try this. Let's try that. So and it apparently, free hats. Free hats. <laughs> yes. that, did, that did it. That did all it. the violence. Uh, and it's odd that the threat of going to prison apparently is not working. Given the prison population. Yeah, threatening in general is often not the best way. Well, the first book on that was by a guy named Cesarea Beccaria, an Italian Enlightenment philosopher who wanted to be the Newton of his field. And his book was on uh, how the punishment should fit the crime. His book is an essay on crimes and punishments. He's the first to articulate... Acquired that book two weeks ago. You did? Yes. Seriously? Yes. From an old antiquarian book. You, you've been thinking about punishing, I didn't even know that punishing book, a lot lately? I, I think <laughs> I only learned that that book existed from reading some of what you've written. That's right. Yep. And yep. and it's yep. he tried to figure out how do you match a punishment to a crime? Right. And what do you go about to even establish that relationship? Exactly. And, yeah, I was, I was very impressed with what that was. At the time, the death penalty was you know not only on the books, but it was on the books for over 220 different crimes. Like like uh, if you stole someone's moccasins? Th- 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 that's right. St- stealing <laughs> moccasins. Death penalty. <laughs> off with your head. Wow. <laughs> you so, know, so, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're distressed about ISIS beheading people. Uh, you know, states used to behead people right and left for any... You insult the king. Insult the king's garden, and you could be beheaded. Really? Shoplifting. His garden? <laughs> this king sounds like a real jerk. <laughs> Or a control freak. <laughs> oh, they, oh, oh, the gardens in the 17th century, 18th, were very regimented, and they mm-hmm. were supposed to be very geometrical. Well, the English gardens were. The French yes. gardens are more freeform. Yes. If I remember but to correctly. insult yeah. them in either place was was, was death bad. penalty. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that yeah. does yeah. seem a little extreme. So Beccaria's idea I mean, was were they very nice gardens. Was it kind of <laughs> well, like some it of them be... were, but you know, I mean, were they on. insultable? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe don't insult the man's garden. Yeah, rhubarbs <laughs> are not quite lined up straight. Yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> Off with his head. <laughs> Off with his rhubarb. <laughs> so the idea that a pro- it's the principle of proportionality, that the punishment should fit the crime. And, uh, you know, what a concept. And we would sort of take it for granted. Uh, and, we, and we often abuse it and then come back. You know, so the crime wave of the 60s and 70s was followed by the prison wave of the, you know, the 90s and the 2000s. And now we recognize, okay, th- this has gone too far. You know, these severe punishers for, you know, a right. third strike of a half an ounce of pot, you know. Of anything. That, yeah, yeah. Of anything, right. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, oregano. Oh, okay. Off with his head. <laughs> no. uh, you know, that's that's too far. So, But but the idea that we're going to experiment with things, mm-hmm. that's kind of a scientific idea. Yeah. L- let's yeah. try this. Maybe you just dangle someone upside down for an hour and then they and then they won't be criminals. <laughs> Have they, we tried that? Uh, actually, that, this is not a bad idea. It's because <laughs> shake up somebody's brain uh, if there's a criminal brain. Anyway, but so what, what we're after here is like how we can apply the methods of science to a, a political system, society, human behavior. Well, that's a precisely how we pose the question to our fan base, knowing that you'd be with us in the studio here and now, visiting from you, Los you Angeles. Psychically knew I would be coming. Uh, I was, it, yeah, it was just data. <laughs> so, so, uh, so Eugene, yeah, you have some of these some questions. questions. Now, neither. Michael nor I have seen these questions before. No. You're popping them on us, so let's... I'm asking you questions <laughs> that people have asked. They've been yeah. sealed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Funkin' yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this is from a Patreon. This is a Patreon patron, uh, okay. Mark Miller. And his question is, with evidence proving we are all equally the same, why do racism and bigotry remain strong in certain groups with strong ideologies? He's from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Right. Wow. Okay. Who? That's the big question. Uh, yeah, he jumps right to the. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So first of all, one of the cognitive capacities we have is pigeonholing things. We classify things: planets, animals, 
other people. And unfortunately, we're very good at this. There's good reasons to do that. You know, it's good to be able to, to realize that those mushrooms are good to eat and these are bad to eat. And you can tell the difference by the color of the skin yeah. of the mushroom. You don't have to bite it and throw up or die. And die. That's right. So, uh, and, and it's good to get But if that. you did, that would be immensely valuable to those who survived. If they saw you. Well, otherwise, <laughs> you're a dead guy by a bunch of mushrooms. Who knows what happened? And in fact, we have a, a brain mechanism that does just that. It's called one trial learning. If you eat a mushroom and, and vomit and become violently ill, you'll never want to eat that again. Right. And that applies to any food. In my case, it was red wine when I was in college when I had way too much red wine. Wow. And it took me about 10 years before I could drink red wine again just because my brain was, you know, okay, that made yeah. you vomit. Don't eat that Only again. Only gin. Gin will keep you safe. <laughs> That's what you would tell it, it, yourself. It happened to me with, uh, I got uh, what's that really bad one you get in your lower digestive tract? Uh, well, there's Montezuma's revenge. Salmon, sal- yeah. Salmonella. Oh, so I got salmonella. Did you eat raw chicken, and, like and chicken tartare. No, it was it was mayonnaise, likely. And the at the time, the, what the taste in my mouth was an orange soda. And, okay, and so I went I went ten years before I could yep, come near orange right, soda. Yep. What about mayonnaise? You you <laughs> learned wrong. <laughs> I didn't have the taste of mayonnaise in my mouth. That's right. the difference. All right. That's so the confounding of the accuracy of the data right. that you would use it as a cause and effect. Right, yeah. right. And, and in essence, that's what racism is. It's it's just a hijacking of a system that's there for good reasons. Uh, and then say, okay, all people that look like X, that's in the category of you know the bad stuff, and we don't want to get near them. We, you see this now with you know that that, that most of the you know, ISIS terrorists is is related to Islam, so therefore we just lump into this big category. That's just so predictable. This How is much of it do. isn't just tribalism? That, well, that is what the tri- that is in part what tribalism is. Tri- although, see, tribalism is whoever is going to be your kin and kind and the people you you grew up with and hang around a lot and with. share culture DNA. And, and those are typically going to be you know ra- racially similar to you and so on. So we naturally just look at people in other tribes unless there's some way to interact with them to reduce the amount of anxiety and increase trust. Which is where pop music comes in. Pop, pop culture and pop music. Music is actually one of the great unifiers. You know, if, if you know if you like Bono and I like Bono, or take your pick. Uh, you know, then, then, uh, I'm okay uh, with Bono. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, good. So uh, you know, then, then we're less likely to you know. So maybe the real answer is to get ISIS some. Well, first of all, you two, and then probably from there just be like, well, okay, maybe we can agree on Led Zeppelin. <laughs> well, that would be good. So, so is that'd the, be a good start. The we're wired to be racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're wired to yes, be yes. tribalists. Now, is so, it possible to for the tribalism to relate to your proximity to them rather than to what they look like in such a way that people in your city, however large, become your tribe? That's right. And the way that happens is through interactions of any kind, trade. Uh, just oh, you know, okay. Yeah, you know, so okay. like like, like um, in, in, interstate trade reduces the likelihood of a conflict between two states by a significant percentage. It, it reduces it by like a hundred percent. So by a hundred percent. Well, but you know, it's a, uh, sorry, I got those. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's very exciting. No, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm, I misspoke by fifty percent. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, that's I mean, I mean, so much more but, believable uh, now. Coming, coming the other way, it would go up a hundred percent. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Going from fifty to hundred, you've increased by a hundred percent. Yes. But going from hundred. Down to 50, one one, one it's reason only 50%. why uh, I mean the Chinese are fairly different looking from us, but one reason not to go to war with them is, 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 they, is, they, is they make your <laughs> they make your iPad there, uh, and, and so it, because they do that, we don't want to bomb them. Right. We want right. to buy their you know we want to give them their our money, and they want to give us their products. So there's you know there's a mutual exchange, but that works with ideas or music or any kind of pop. Culture. So it's so, it's a leftover evolutionary force. As you said, I love the word you use, uh, hijacked or, yeah, or, hijacked, or, or yeah. co-opted yeah. For, for, for completely nefarious reasons. 
That's right. So, but 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 well, but yeah, that's right. So it's an Good. evolutionary shortcoming so in our species. As Jared Diamond likes to point out, uh, from hanging out at the pop, with Papua New Guineans, uh, you know, indigenous peoples, if you run into a stranger on a hiking path, you should either try to kill him or run for it because he's gonna he might try to kill you. The idea of sh- reaching out and shaking somebody's hand is just insane. Because in the ancestral world that we evolved in, that would have been suicidal to do that. It's you know, so anyone, one of you had turmeric and the other had gold. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you you make a swap or something. So right. that's one of the reasons why anthropologists have documented like the potlatch, where I'm going to throw a big party for you and you throw a big party oh. for me. It doesn't matter what it is. We're exchanging something, and that tells me I can trust this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he gave me something, I gave him something. He trusts me, I trust him, and that breaks down the natural tribal barriers. So the idea would be if we could expand it to the whole city, so if we could have a world. Worldwide party. Let's call yes. it Christmas <laughs> and exclude only a, yeah. New Year's. Let's call it New Year's. New Year's. Probably better. New Year's is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, how much violence happens on New Year's? I mean, well, think about probably, it. I don't know. Probably less than uh, on yep. Christmas. Way yeah. less. And and so uh, in this, uh, so I've always been fascinated by the the leftover uh, evolutionary baggage we have, simply to have us survive in the past that then would interfere with our survival. Absolutely, and you can turn it back on. Unfortunately, and that's what groups like ISIS do—they tribalize things, and you know they're the enemy. We're, you know, we're, and we're the good guys. It's, it's the, you know, the Mac, this, that, that sort of dividing people up into black and white, good and evil, uh-huh. and uh, it's easy to turn those things back on. Fortunately, we're, we're pretty good at turning it off, just through all these different mechanisms. That, and so one of the things states have done by making their borders more porous. Say, what's the chances of Germany and France going to war? Are these scientific very literate, slim uh, adjectives? Yeah, the porous. Porosity. Yeah. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> the gelatinous mass of the economy. Yeah. Stop talking about Greece like that. Uh, but where, you know, for 500 years, the great powers of Europe were at war with each other pretty much every year. It just stopped in 1945. Until they started trading transistor radios and That's stuff. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's cheaper for the French and Germans to trade with one another and cross borders and so on. Well, now with the EU, you don't even have to show your passport. Right. Uh, it's like going from here to Texas or, no, wait, where are we? Oh. <laughs> okay, not here. <laughs> so Eugene, we, oh, a couple of minutes left. Do we get? Can we slip yeah. in another question? Do you think? I, I think we can. All right. Here's one uh, from uh, George Isaac on Facebook. Neil, how far do you want human space exploration to be by the year twenty one fifteen? So a hundred years. Is, yeah. He's talking about. So here's an interesting fact, and uh, to the point of your book, the moral arc. The International Space Station, which is a collaboration of various nations, including the United States and Russia, mm-hmm. is the largest collaboration of nations outside of the waging of war. And so, Bigger than just <clears throat> trade in general? Well, you talk about Specific. how many nations are involved and the value of that mission, yeah. how many billions of dollars it represents. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess there's trade. I, okay. But, there, but yeah, I see what you, you mean. You can interconnect yeah. economies. So I'll, I'll yeah. grant you that. Uh, but they're not people working together right. in front of one another as it is in the space station. Right. Someone, upon hearing that, thought, well, maybe the World Cup is like that or the Olympics. But the cost of going to space exceeds this. And, yeah, yeah. and the economic commitment is greater. And there's no real uh, 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 private enterprise return on it. So it's really nations just trying to cooperate. And I'm fascinated by the possibility mm-hmm. that maybe the best way to have the world cooperate is to put them all in one boat basically mm-hmm. space yep. boat and now here the, now they got to treat each other right 
a common enemy in the form of an alien is a popular sci-fi story that yeah. unites all nations to fight against this evil enemy, something like that. But what would be more interesting is if we had a new society set up on Mars to see what kind of government would they come up with. Just, you know, just 10 guys, and then there's 50, and then 100, and then 1,000, 10,000. What would they do? I think they'd probably kill one another. Some, well, <laughs> I mean, they'd have some version it, it, of Canada uh, until it got too confusing. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> then they'd go to war. Or Lord of the Flies for grown-ups. <laughs> when we come back, more of Cosmic Queries with Michael Sherman. I'm Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Feel like you got enough to do already? I do. That's why I use Ship Same Day Delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash hi. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're back on Star Talk, and I've got Eugene Merman, my co-host. Eugene, hello. Yeah, hello. and our special guest today is Michael Shermer. Hey, and he's publisher, and editor, Grand Poobah of <laughs> Skeptics Magazine, and a director, uh, <laughs> and a director. And you, every time I turn around, you've got a book out, and the Moral Arc is your latest. Uh, I yep, think that's right. Yeah. And I, I think I even blurbed this book. You did. did. You blurbed. You know, my my goal is to be the shortest blurb on any book jacket. Uh, yours is the shortest. Blurb. <laughs> Shermer's great. Read this book. No. <laughs> no, I try to be a little clever. Yes, no, than you are. You are like your tweets. They're very thoughtful and clever. Okay, I mean, well, not everybody you. does that. Yeah. No, yeah, it's usually the self-serving, usually. Yeah, yeah. the self-serving ones, the blurbs go on for like half the length of the book. It's like, no, uh, this is my book. <laughs> right. <laughs> you just needed to say, this is very good, please buy this book. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're, we're fielding inquiries from our fan base. Mm-hmm. This is the Cosmic Queries edition of Star Talk, And we're fielding uh, questions related to the role of science in the formation of a moral yeah. philosophy. Well, because, because historically, that turf has been, uh, at least in the popular belief has been granted to religions as a source of moral code. Mm-hmm. And so to come out with a book 
that takes a, another take on that. that for, for some people, that might be fighting words. It is. And my chapter four, why religion is not the major driver of moral progress, has raised a few hackles. But And let me say right off the bat, of course, religious people can, are, are, can be as good as anybody else. And, like, and vi- vice versa, atheists and seculars can be as good as religious people. I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about ideas that change the world. So back to Newton, the Enlightenment, you know, Adam Smith and, and, and Immanuel Kant and David Hume. These were all skeptics, secularists. And and and, the, and and their idea was that instead of arguing this is the way things should be because our religion says so or our holy book says so or our God says so, let's see if there's certain ideas that I can articulate and convince you by the power of the ideas alone. And not by the power of the authority the, of a religious text. That's right. So the idea of rights. I, rights were invented in the Enlightenment, really the late 17th century, early 18th century, uh, and then came to fruition around the late 18th century with the American and French revolutions. The idea that just by dint of being human, you are born with these certain inalienable rights. Now, there's certain arguments beneath that, you know, natural rights, by nature, what does that mean? You know, where, where you know, through the telescope or microscope, where do I see rights? You know, at some point, it's you written to, on this. Uh, you didn't look to the left of the constellation. Yeah, yeah. It's on the sky, clearly. <laughs> right. Uh, and that I can't just force you to accept my argument. I have to convince you. Well, by, you could force them to accept your argument, but that isn't probably your intent. Right. That's, that's right. a different yeah. kind of yeah. government yeah. when you yeah, do exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so immediately, uh, a lot of these Enlightenment thinkers, we call them philosophers. Today, we would call them scientists. I mean, they really had a grounding of... Uh, of we wouldn't uh, call them uh, bloggers? Uh, they they might have been bloggers. You know, David Hume, he's got the biggest Twitter following of all the, yeah. <laughs> all the social scientists. I wonder how many Twitter followers the great uh, philosophers would have had. Yeah, I don't know. They, I think they might have been wordier than 140 <laughs> characters. Uh, but the idea is that, uh, so we have a human nature, they recognize that we're born a, with certain characteristics, cer- certain inner demons and better angels, and the idea is structuring society in a way to attenuate the inner demons and bring out the better angels. How can we do that? Uh, so certain laws, customs, economic systems, um, you, you know... Um, they help inform this, this, this that, trajectory. That's right. Yeah. yeah the, one of the founders of economic science before Adam Smith... Um, was the um, Adam Smith's great work, The Wealth of Nations, seventeen seventy six? That's right. The but, same but year, the, but the real the real founding. title of it is an inquiry into the nature and causes of the wealth of nations. It's a scientific treatise. Mm. He's he was a professor of natural philosophy, but what we would call science, and so he's looking for cause and effect relationships. Okay, if supply goes down, what happens to demand? You know, this is where we get these ideas. Things move around. So like it's an this. exploration in the causes and effects That's of things. Right. Mm. Of, yeah, of everything. Right. Let's see what questions yeah. we've got coming for us. So, uh, and we haven't seen these questions, and they're just from. No. And do we do we know the source? When we you're do. listening there. We're oh, going to yeah. say the source. Yes, please. At R N Straw on Twitter says, asks. He he does ask. Yeah. It's true, technically. <laughs> uh, hey guts, I think he means guys. <laughs> Sorry. Was spell check? Hey, <laughs> hey guys, what is the effect science has had morality on us as a race? Have we become kinder or started to grow cold? Yeah. So let me let me shape that a little differently yeah. because you've already addressed pieces of that. Yeah. There's scientific outlook that has informed people's attempts to arrive at a moral philosophy. Is there are there any actual scientific discoveries you can point to and say 
that discovery will shape this current or future morality? Um, well, I think there's cer certain things, like certain technologies are somewhat neutral, say the atomic weapon or something like that, that can be used for and against. But just the... Just you mean the for good or evil? That, that's right. Yes. Uh -huh. But just the improvement of the general conditions of humanity, I think, helps. Just, just like the technologies of the Internet that expands our moral sphere to consider other people as just members of our honorary family, our honorary group, uh, even if I don't see them. Uh, that technology, I think, helps. I mean, one of the ways of tricking the brain into thinking of a complete stranger as an honorary friend or family member is what nonprofits do when they want you to adopt a child. You've seen those late-night commercials adopt this. You know. Yeah. I've done this, and, you know, and, and studies show that if you show uh, uh, people a picture of like 100 starving kids at in Kenya, they'll give X amount of dollars. If you show them one child and ask them to give, they'll give three to four times more money for a single child. Because, because they're helping an individual, they you, feel. You give them a name, you know, here, here's the, you know, here. Okay, you can even use friend. the name the child has. That's right. You don't even have to <laughs> you make up, make up a name. That's right. right. So, so that's, the, that's the shaking the hands with the person that, who's that, on the uh, outside of the uh, city walls. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So it, it tricks the brain. It just sort of, sort of, you sort of bond with it. There's a little oxytocin there, some dopamine, like, okay, I'm feeling good about this person, and I think I'll be nice to them rather than be nasty to them. So, so. I shouldn't criticize those efforts for how crass they are in their salesmanship because they really understand the shortcomings of the human emotional that, that's state. That's right. Yeah, those are they're effective. Yeah, because they're effective. The big NGOs and nonprofits, they they've tried, you know, these they've tried NGOs non-governmental organizations. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so they know what to do to get to raise the most money, and that's okay. I mean, they mm -hmm. again, they know how to trick the human brain yeah, into caring trick drunk people at night into helping <laughs> each other. So there's the whole side of psychological sciences that helps us understand that's the right. failure of our reasoning, right. and then when you equipped in advance, you can compensate for that. That, that's right, absolutely. And, and, and say behavioral game theory has helped, has helped us get through the Cold War. It's like, okay, th they're rational actors, we're rational actors, we don't want to die, they don't want to die. You know, mutual Reagan assured and destruction. Tough or you know, you know, Nixon saw, yes, mutual assured destruction. It worked. Yeah, it works if one of the, the other side doesn't want to die. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. this is the problem we face That's now. That's a big assumption. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. This is the problem we face now. There's people that are willing to die because they have this you know, supernatural belief in, in uh, they're going to heaven with the 72 virgins and, oh, boy, I'm going you know, so to blow myself up. Yeah. Okay, they're not going to calculate rationally. Like, you really only need like 10 virgins to think it's reasonable. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, what's the diminishing returns on that? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't think there's been any studies on that. <laughs> uh, I remember hearing uh, Joe Rogan a uh, uh, great podcaster in MMA. Uh, I guess he's ex-MMA. Uh, he shows up every now and then to, uh, I think, to uh, host uh, okay. some of those contests. But uh, he commented uh, the power of sex on the human male mind that it can be promised even in another dimension. <laughs> and you will <laughs> completely alter your behavior <laughs> to be I... served in that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, what's the ancient Greek play, Lysisurgis, where the women said, if you men keep, continue to go off to war, no more sex. And then they said, okay, let's see if we can work out a peace program here. That's Spike Lee's current movie. It, it is? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. The current movie, it's uh, Chirac. All it's, right. a, it's a blend of Chicago and Iraq. So it's a movie that taps the theme of that play. Okay. And Very so good. all the women withhold sex from the men who are otherwise engaged in gang warfare in the city. Right. So, yeah. 
But even our discussions on gun controls, like what, what kind of measures can we implement to bring down the rate of homicides, suicides, and accidental deaths? Over 30,000 a year in this country. Yeah, it's, it's the same as, as car, car accident accidents. deaths. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. It's, it, you know, 100 it's a, a day almost. It's appalling. You know, so 14 died in San Bernardino, and, and yet th- that's how many die like every couple hours just from a- gun accidents, yeah. suicides, and homicides. Yeah, I tweeted that, uh, a sequence of three tweets. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them, the third of which got the most attention. I, I just put up the number, 3,400. Number of Americans who have died from terrorist attacks since 2001, 3,400. Number of Americans who have died from firearms since five weeks ago. And that works at any five-week interval. So, That's right. So these can be very telling to people. Right. So the question is, why is it that it doesn't happen in other countries? What conditions do they have that we don't have? This is a social science question. This is a statistical variance, multivariant analysis. What factors can we play? It's very complicated. It's hard. Yeah. But there are some things we can do you know, that really can make a difference. Uh, I mean, obviously, if a country has no guns, you know, there's certain European, no one has guns. Uh, but in Germany, where my wife's from, uh, you know, they have fairly strict gun control and mass mass murders yeah. like that are almost unheard of. Right. Well, I think there's also the misnomer that it somehow can't work. And there's just there's also all this false data, basically, that is. And there's also kind of a magical thinking about guns. Uh, for Americans, gu- guns are almost like a superstitious ritual. They, they almost are, it's like... But, but have that, they always means, been, or is that the last, like, 20, I, 30 years? I think years? it's really just been the last few decades. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I the have NRA to agree. people tell you, know, all goes back to our founding. No, not really. Uh, yeah. You know, the NRA used to just be a safety, gun safety. Yeah, and like marksmen like, and right, hunters. Boy and then in the and, yeah. 70s, they kind of right. went crazy. Yeah, they went political. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're the biggest lobbying organization in the country now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. They have more power than probably any other lobby. It's pretty scary. Um, you know, so I mean, some would say it would be immoral to not have a gun. That, that's right, they do, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, you know, so their argument would be something like a mutual sure destruction. You know, no, no cr- criminals come into my house if he knows I have a gun. So, er- ergo, if every house has a gun, no criminal will go to any house. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, the certain studies show that you, you are twenty. Your gun is twenty-two times more likely to be used in a homicide, suicide, or accidental gun shooting within your family and home than it is against an intruder. Yeah, between you and someone you know. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, you get mad at your spouse, vice versa. You have a depressed sibling or daughter or parent that shoots themselves, or the gun just goes off. I mean, one of the most disturbing things that's almost that are almost funny are the YouTube videos of people who accidentally shoot themselves. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, I didn't know that that was a thing. Oh, it's a thing. There are hundreds of these videos, and oh um, my god! I mean, there's like one kid. He's he's doing the Clint Eastwood thing with the gun on, you know, sideways, and you know, like I'm a badass, and bam! And he's like, oh, my mother's gonna be so mad at me. <laughs> it's like so much for Dirty Harry, you know. So you know, the idea of arming everybody is a bad idea because of accidents, because also because of human nature. We have short. Some people have a short fuse, and all of us under. Uh, certain circumstances could become violent. The potential is there. So, so what else you got from our fan base? Um, so, so here's uh, Josh I on Twitter asks, if we found life on other worlds, how would that affect the way like the way we look at life on our world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me, let me let me try to shape that. So if we find aliens and they have a different social contract with one another, 
are we in a position to say, no, that is morally low. We have a higher moral fiber. Here's what you should do. That's kind of what Star Trek did every mm-hmm. now. The, you know, the prime directive is don't interfere with mm-hmm. with the civilization, but they yeah. always did. Yeah, yeah that'd be a dull show. <laughs> oh, these people are awful. We should go. <laughs> these Greek dressed aliens are so sexual. <laughs> Goodbye. I saw that when they all in togas. Yeah, this is like them. half the episodes of the Simpsons. <laughs> yes, <laughs> togas and miniskirts. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. How the unusual miniskirt. that they've adopted the fashion of the sixties and the five thousand years yeah. before that. <laughs> Yeah. So, so is there? Um, is, well, two two things. It, I think. Is this is this moral arc something that is go, not only goes beyond our species? I think so. I speculate. That's audacious, the, it, you know. It, it, uh, oh, I know, but oh you, you got to think big. Now, how many aliens have you talked to? <laughs> Six. <laughs> 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 okay. Self-identified. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's see. My wife's from Germany. Is that an alien? Is yeah, that yeah. Not, you have to be an uh, extraterrestrial <laughs> alien. Oh, yes. I say extraterrestrial. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, so I do speculate about this at the last chapter of toward the end of the moral arc. That what if we, if we encountered aliens, would they be good or evil? As you know, Stephen Hawking came out with that statement. You know, I think the aliens will be evil. They'll conquer us. They'll be colonialists, and so on. I argue just the opposite. You can't become a viable spacefaring civilization, say a Type Two civilization, and be like the Romans or the Nazis or you know some conquering imperialistic, you know, 18th century, you know, constantly a war type. So you, country. Your, your claim is Battlefield Earth is unrealistic. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think really you'd have to be a peaceful, more cooperative. You'd be more well, like part of that Star Trek world. No, no. Part of that argument is if you are that expansionist, and everyone feels that way about being expansionist, and you fight wars to accomplish it, as you start colonizing planets, your expansionist attitudes then conflict with one another, right? And you basically self destruct, right? So there's got to be some sense of peace and cooperation deep within how you function as a species. To not uh, implode right. under under your own the shortcomings so of the th- thing that got you there in the first place. So, so, so uh, Stephen Hawking said that because advanced civilizations, when they go to a new place, generally do attack. Them. Yeah, yeah. Are there so, examples so, so that that isn't that the case on, on Earth. His actual knowledge of how humans treat one another, right? Not on any have real treated, knowledge he could have, have treated. Yes, yeah. Not on any real knowledge he acquired from aliens. Right. This is a point, and I and I, I lean towards you, Michael, yeah. on this. Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, w- you know, when Putin uh, took over that portion of Ukraine, that was very unusual, and it's really the first time any borders have been redrawn of it w- with any significance in decades. It's really unusual now for countries to like uh, expand bust their territory in. and yeah. bust in and take stuff. You know, right? And and it's that's, more likely that just there's just regular war. And besides, the aliens are going to traverse the vast instances of interstellar space and come here and take our coal. Right. I mean, <laughs> surely their technologies have gone beyond you know fossil fuels by the time. You know, they right. get here. But maybe they want all our pretty birds. <laughs> I, I, I heard a radio show um, back when I was in college, a radio play while I was driving, and aliens were coming, they thrive on hydrogen, and they came to Earth and were sucking up our water supply to take the hydrogen uh-huh. out of our water. And I, and I said, they must never have taken Astrophysics 101, because 90% of the universe is made of hydrogen. You don't have to come to Earth <laughs> for water open supply, the window. and then se- and separate the molecule and take that right. damn hydrogen. When you can just take, where would it be, an asteroid? Every star yeah. is nearly 100% hydrogen. Every gas cloud, everything. Right. Yeah, yeah. Jupiter is 90% hydrogen. Oh, they'd go to Jupiter yeah, then. Yeah, just scoop up some gas. They don't take our <laughs> damn water supply. So, <laughs> so, when we come back, more Cosmic Queries with our special guest, Michael Trump. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, 
Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. We're back on Sarkov. We're talking about morality in the universe and whether science can inform that. And my friend right here, Michael Shermer, has written a book on this called The Moral Arc. And the subtitle is? Uh, How Science and Reason Lead Humanity Toward Truth, Justice, and Freedom. Man. You running for <laughs> wow. office? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> right? And so this is Cosmic Queries. We solicited questions. I haven't seen them. You haven't seen them. And so uh, let's see how many we can like squeeze into this last segment. Okay. 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 Yeah, let's go for it. Let's Eugene. Let's do it. Uh, Martin Badg asks uh, on Twitter, how has our moral standing affected the pace and direction of scientific discoveries? Oh, in the uh, opposite direction. Well, I, I, I do think a more open society where there's more liberties and freedom, freedom of speech especially, uh, and especially freedom for uh, you know women to be involved and minorities and so on, all that it just makes science more appealing and more people involved in all the different scientific enterprises. So then I think it becomes sort of a feedback loop. You know, more science and reason is good for morality, more just and open society is more op- conducive to science. But how about some of the experiments that you 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 might say why are you doing that for example i uh, if you can get the dna from a, a mammoth that just got thought out from a receding glacier line mm-hmm. and then clone it and then create a mammoth in modern times and i always joke that uh, how unfortunate for the mammoth because he was just fine for the Ice Age, and now bring him out just in time for global warming. <laughs> How cruel can you be? Well, but, you put, well, well the, Canada. Can, you, yeah, yeah, you leave them in Canada? Yeah. Is that <laughs> what you're suggesting? There's plenty of room up oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> you plunk them down at the right latitude. Yeah, that's good, right. Good yeah. answer. Maybe you put them all at the top of Everest. <laughs> I bet it's quite cold. Siberia, there's plenty of space up there. Lots good of answer. I had not thought <laughs> of right. that. Okay, that's my first one. Because they couldn't get there before because they, they yeah, would ultimately yeah. be broken off. Now, now we can I mean, drop them out of airplanes. I mean, the Canadian population is decreasing, as is the Russian population, so more mammoths. Okay, so that's good. Another one is I was speaking with Richard Dawkins, and he said something that, while I agreed with it, I didn't want to agree with it. He said, if we have the power of, of cloning from any genetic sequence, then he would be interested in f- creating the common ancestor between us and chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. I think that and would that, be, If yeah. you did that, yeah. it means a chimp could mate with that as well as humans. That, that would be so much fun. <laughs> no, that's just, I can only no, imagine what, the, no, how, how said, popular on the internet that would become. No, no, I'm just saying, when he said that, it was like, what? why would you? Right. What? It would be under what? specific conditions. Yeah, so is that morality or is that oh, just yeah, that, ethics? Okay, there would be a moral question. That is, is, or is it ethics? That is, is it the same thing? That, that is, do they have rights? So I, I think in order to allow that ethically, we would have to grant the offspring. Right. You know, the, and the, then yeah, it would have right. to choose who it mated with. Right. 
Right. You okay. know, there was a there was a yeah, but, but, there was a, a, a novel, a French novel in the 1950s called "You Shall Know Them" by an author named Vercors, V-E-R-C-O-R-S. It, it and the story opens with this scientist who kills his son or something like yeah, kills his son, and then you know he calls the police. I've murdered my son. The police show up, and he's basically mated with a female chimp and had an offspring and killed it, and now he's on trial for for what? For murdering what is it? Is it a right. human or is it a okay? So that 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 got into the character. You know, what are the characteristics of a human? This is back in the day. You know, are chimps humans? And mm-hmm. do they have tools, mm-hmm. language, reason? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. But you know, as as um, as Jeremy Bentham pointed out, as I, I talk about in the moral arc, that it isn't can they reason or can they talk? Can they feel and suffer? So always our moral consideration for other animals, uh, if, including possible mm-hmm. hybrids or a clone, would be, you know, are, are they going to suffer by us bringing them into existence? If they have a good life, then why not? Right. Okay, so then uh, we, can, we can diversify the very species sure. that we ever consider and would to that be human. I mean, if, if, we, if, if we explore space... It would be like you know, X-Men. It, we have other kinds of... That would be really fun. There's, <laughs> and nothing ever goes wrong in the X-Men universe, <laughs> so I would like more of that. Um, wait, so would this creature be able point. to... He has a point. Yeah, he got a good point. I retract it. Yeah. Would it be able to learn and speak and sort of... It'd be... Well, that's what... Uh, I mean, what Richard is after there is... Well, what Richard can Dawkins, they, yeah, yeah, what can yeah. they do? What, uh, do they yeah. have language Can they throw parties? Okay, so the morality is not whether you did that experiment. The morality is the product of that experiment needs to be yeah. reckon, reckoned as someone who is uh, uh, part of the citizenry of Right. The Let's system. give them a seat in That's the right. House of Representatives. Yeah, I think well, that would be <laughs> a they, reasonable and fair thing to do. They may be a little smarter than the current current <laughs> They might. Uh, right, so Eugene, but same thing with the mammoths. I mean, we shouldn't bring them back if, we're, if we don't have any place to put them. They can't live a normal life. Right. Well, we can hunt them. <laughs> See, this is the, yeah. This is the argument the gun people make: is that we're actually saving the e- ecosystem by allowing people to kill the animals. You know, it's a reasonable argument, but you know, in the long run, we should you know uh, give them their space to just live and not be shot. Oh. So, Eugene, what else do you have? <laughs> um, uh, Kelia Silvis asks: With eugenics atrocities in the 1900s, can humanity ethically use human gene editing tech? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah good yeah. question. Well, okay. So. Again, we have the products of science. Well, before you go there, let me ask. The Statue of Liberty and the writing, that poem from uh, Ezra, who's the Mm. author of that? You know, give us your weak and your poor. All right. That was the moral opposite of the eugenics movement that was trying to parse people by their desirability. Right. Over that same time, these so you're an immigrant coming past the Statue of Liberty. You go to Ellis Island, and you have people trying to invoke eugenics on how to sort you. Right. So what's that about? <laughs> Conflicting political ideals, I think. Uh, on the one hand, the idea of eugenics um, was really kind of a liberal movement at the beginning. It became a more of a right-wing movement later. But at the beginning, it was, let's see how we can engineer society from the top down in all things, you know, so, so with laws and so on, but also with genetics. Uh, then after, What was it exactly? Well, just... The just, eugenics movement? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was an attempt. Uh, at, it's traceable. I know even, what it is in Star Trek, but I don't know. Even, even before the century, the turn of the century, there was a lot of thinking about, well, now that we understand that there's a thing called you know, your genes, yeah. and some genes are desirable, others are not. Let's breed a race of desirable genes, a yeah. race of humans with desirable genes. Right. And the early thinkers were thinking maybe you could do that for the entire 
planet. I don't see anything that could go wrong with that plan. <laughs> but, then, <laughs> but then it becomes localized, and you have Nazi, yeah. uh, Nazi Well, you know, the state things. of Virginia and the state of California both sterilized more people in the 1930s than the Nazis did. Mm. So at the Nuremberg trials, one of the defense of the Nazis was that, hey, we got the idea from the Americans. <laughs> mm. And they had a point. Uh, yeah. But this was all part Why of this. Why were people being sterilized? Well, oh, if you're mentally, uh, they judge that you're, they don't want any more of your genes moving forward. Right. Oh, right. wow. Yeah, yeah. You're mentally deficient or deformed in some oh. kind of way. So right. they, they started with you know physical handicaps and then mental handicaps and then things like uh, work shy. He's work shy. In other words, he's lazy or doesn't want to work. You know, they started moving to more social really? things. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and that was... L- that was legal in America. Yep. Well, that, oh. uh, that was in Germany. I don't know about if they. Oh, did. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know if they went well, Germany did a lot of terrible stuff. That's well documented. <laughs> but not anymore. And just to I be mean, clear, uh, in these cases, they wouldn't kill you. They would just sterilize you. Right. Yeah, to yeah, prevent no, you. They'd but, stop your gene pool. But in right. Virginia, they didn't do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ster- Well, they sterilized mentally retarded people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that you know, it was a famous Supreme Court case uh, of uh, you know three three generations of imbeciles are enough was the final line. In I this. remember that line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that. Yeah, it's very disturbing. Well, uh-huh. okay, so that's obviously a negative use of science. But again, science is neutral, morally neutral in some respects. Uh, how it gets used is a political decision and a social decision. Well. So my uh, back to science. My argument is that, but but socially, politically, we're becoming more reasonable and rational, and realizing that doesn't work. And besides that, the moral agent is the person being affected. We should ask them first. That's the idea of individual rights and autonomy. You know, before you tell somebody, you know, what they're to do with their genes, let's ask them first. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't like their answer, then you can do what you want. (laughs) Well, sometimes that happens in some countries. And I forgot what what network it's on. Uh, Is it A&E? Which is one of these networks where they follow a group of of dwarfs. Uh, What's the one where your long bones are shortened? Is it dwarf or midget? Uh, I I think it's dwarf. Yeah, but they're called little people, I think, is the general term. And so there is a couple who are both dwarfs. Then they have children who are all dwarfs. And so it's their family, and their their house is a little different because it serves them and not us. And so here's a whole TV show, a mm-hmm. reality show mm-hmm. based on their lives. One of the encouraging things to me is um, is the Flynn effect. Do you know about the Flynn effect? IQ scores are going up three points every 10 years for about the last century. And not on the like mathematical vocabulary, things you can study for, but on the abstract reasoning portions of the IQ test. No one quite knows why this is, but the, the best idea is it, by James Flynn, the guy, eponymous James Flynn, the Flynn effect, is that in, in general, as a culture, we're getting better at abstract reasoning. Just by the diffusion of scientific knowledge and, that, and the jobs people hold are more abstract in, in reasoning capacity. Uh, only 3% of the world's population is in farming now. It used to be about 97%. Oh, yeah. yeah. More people are creating more food on less land than ever before. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So we don't need as many farmers. So more people mm-hmm. are working in information. And then that uh, is affecting people. Uh, you're just your capacity to, to reason think. and abs- reason abstractly. That's hopeful. What? It's very hopeful. Yeah, also, yeah. Very hopeful. also reading. It, it, it's looking at some preliminary studies I cite in the book is that uh, is that reading novels, good novels, really uh, uh, makes you better at mind reading. That is uh, c- the capacity to think about what other people are feeling and thinking. And that and, and the reason for that is because in a novel you you become the character and you're looking at the world through their eyes. And that retrains your brain into uh, movies. Don't have the same effect, <laughs> and movies do too. Also, oh, yes, good. yeah, no, move, good. Movie. <laughs> that might be a shortcut. And co- actually, comedy has an important uh, role in the moral arc in the sense that 
comedians can bring about uh, you know social criticism of leaders and particularly political leaders that uh, in the early stages, if you get people to laugh, they they kind of go along with you before they realize, oh wait a minute, he's <laughs> making fun of the commander in chief. You know, a, a, an op-ed writer may get nailed for this in certain countries, beheaded in yeah, centuries yeah. past, but comedians can get away with a lot, and that helps bring things about change from the bottom up just everybody's sort of making fun of him now and yeah so mike we got to go to the lightning round and okay. so that was this bell you heard a second ago so lightning round it's like this we're testing your sound bite okay. Okay? <laughs> okay okay all right ready yeah all right uh gene go um gene it was a lightning round i can't uh, have no, you take 20 okay. seconds getting into the okay. question uh, all right ready go <laughs> question for neil how can a scientist defend agnosticism uh, you don't have to defend the absence of evidence for why you think what you do. I, honestly, it doesn't need a defense. You, if you want to defend something, you want to defend a belief for what you have that would not then have evidence. I mean, that's. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's always okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't mean right. anything. It doesn't mean you're committed. It's just okay because we don't know everything. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, good. Next. Okay. James Miller asks, as purveyors of truth, should more scientists publicly speak out on questions of morality and ethics? Ooh, good question. Absolutely, yep, definitely. In fact, we but that, that, that implies they've studied it and thought about it and could say something coherent. It, 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 Not everyone has that background that's right, you do. That's right. Einstein spoke about war. He didn't really know what he was talking about. But, you mm -hmm. know, it's okay. That it, it brings us all to the table of, like, hey, let's talk about this rationally. Okay, so you want that to happen more. More. Yeah, yeah okay, more. more. Yeah. Okay, go. Um, does modern science back up any old moral platitudes that modern society ignores? Ooh, good oh, one. absolutely. Yeah, the go the golden rule. I mean, that, that's reciprocal altruism. I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. And if do you want to others as yeah, others do unto absolutely. you? Absolutely. That's the oldest well, rule, and science has continued, uh, evolutionary biology has continued to find that to be true. Does that include even game theory? That, that is, the, yeah, there absolutely. You go. Yeah. Okay, nice one. Go. Jason asks, uh, will we ever get to a point when we profile or flag individuals with criminal-like brain waves? Ooh. Ooh. Um, well, yeah, we... Sterilize, sterilize them with lasers <laughs> from the sky. <laughs> modern phrenology, go. No, not, not criminally, but uh, scientifically, we might want to know, are there certain conditions that the brain is under where you lose control? For example, lack of control, lack of free prefrontal cortex activity means your impulse control is lost, and a lot of violent criminals have uh, low-functioning cerebral cortex. And it's nice to know if someone is susceptible to that. That's right. Yeah. You got it. And just Mike, to, tag just, them, just to help them. Maybe make them wear a red hat that, that says, just, I'm a menace. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, we got to end it there. Okay. Thanks for being on Star Talk. Thanks Not for your first me. time, not your first rodeo, but we want to get you back every time you have a book. Sounds good. All right, Michael Shermer, thanks for visiting. Thank you and, very much. And Eugene Merman, always good to have you. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and we're here on Star Talk in New York City. We're signing off, and I did you. In that process, keep looking up. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. 
earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.